I think that uh, these are all very big things for housing authorities to kind of put together and maybe rethink something that previously had not presented itself as feasible. Welcome to Buzz House, a Baker Tilly podcast where you can find all the buzz around multifamily housing. I'm Don Bernard, the partner in charge of Baker Tilly's multifamily housing practice. And I'm Garrett Gibson, a partner at Baker Tilly, also specializing in consulting on multifamily housing transactions across the country. Each week, we'll bring you a guest or a topic in the multifamily housing industry that will help you win now and anticipate tomorrow. Let's get started. Today, our guest in the Buzz House is our friend Pat Costigan, who many know as advisor to the RAD Collaborative and also principal of CF Housing Group. We will be talking to Pat today about a new notice from HUD dealing with public housing repositioning and RAD Section 18 blends, along with what else Pat has seen today in the industry and around repositioning. Before having a discussion with Pat, we want to give you a few updates from around the industry. In order to address homelessness, President Biden executed an executive order which directs FEMA to provide 100% reimbursement for the cost of approved non-congregate sheltering in hotels and motels across the country through September 2021, including for people experiencing homelessness and residents of congregate living facilities. There had been FEMA funding in place, but it was previously 75%. On our last podcast, we also discussed some of the extensions provided by IRS Notice 2021-12, including the extension of the 10% test to September 30th, 2021, and a moratorium on compliance. Also included in this notice, due to possible slow lease-up of projects during the pandemic, for projects whose first tax credit period ends in 2020, units leased for the first time through June 30th, 2021 are allowed to be added to the tax credit calculation in 2020. This should allow projects facing the prospect of 15-year credits to get things in line for a 10-year stream, thereby avoiding potentially significant adjusters. And lastly, the Treasury Department recently published frequently asked questions providing guidance on the recently enacted $25 billion emergency rental assistance program. The FAQs indicate third-party source documentation is required for both income verification and to prove COVID-19-related financial hardship. Many organizations representing grantees and tenant advocates had urged Treasury to allow program administrators to rely on a household's signed attestation for eligibility qualification, as source documentations may be impossible for some applicants to provide, and such requirements will slow down the process of providing assistance. Now, Don and I will jump into the discussion with Pat. That sounds good. And Pat, thanks again. Very, very happy to have you in the Buzz House today. A lot of really good things in the housing industry here to unpack and very excited to see what happens in the next 100 days, two years, and, and so forth. Maybe Pat, we'll start out with a lot of people very excited to see uh, Notice 2021-07. I'm reading through, of course, very beneficial for repositioning of public housing portfolios. You have these new uh, Section 18 Rad blends. Pat, can you give an overview to our listeners of what this notice is all about? Sure, but first, good to be with you, Don and Garrick. Thanks for uh, having me on today. As to the Section 18 notice, there's a couple of, I think, game changers, really. Let's start with the blends, the so-called Rad Section 18 blends, where you get 
tenant protection vouchers along with Brad rents. So the logic of all this is that both the, the public housing uh, SAC or Special Application Center and the recap office have worked long and hard to put together something that they originally introduced a couple of years ago called the 7525 blend, which basically allowed you for projects that couldn't quite get penciled out with just rad rents, you could add 25% tenant protection vouchers into the mix if your construction costs were at 60% of area housing construction costs. So that let you go a little bit deeper. But now what both the recap office and and the SAC have worked together to do is to build on that, to really offer a sliding scale of RAD and TPV mixes relative to these housing construction costs in your area. So now instead of one blend option, there's really now four. So the first of which is when rehab costs are at least 60% of the housing construction costs, as it was with the old 7525 blend, the Section 18 enabled TPV mix in a project can now go up to 40% instead of 25%. So that's a new, if you will, 60-40 RAD TPV blend. So the next one would be when the housing construction costs go above 90%, or at least 90%. TPVs that can be fused into the equation now can go to 60% of the units. So now we're really talking about a 40-60 blend, 40% RAD, 60% TPVs. Then there's another option in particularly high-cost areas where the, the construction costs exceed 120% of the national average. TPVs can be increased to 80% of the project units. So I think of that as a high-cost 2080 RAD TPV blend. So those are uh, pretty good opportunities to go deeper, but also we should point out what can go up can also come down. Um, And what I mean by that is that uh, TPVs can be fused into projects now requiring lesser amounts of of housing construction costs. So when projects are at least 30% of the local construction costs, you can now be approved for tenant protection vouchers at 20% of the total project unit. So I think of that as a 80-20 RAD blend. So that's kind of a mouthful, Don. I'm sure you and your colleagues have offered something in writing on that, but uh, basically there's four ways now to kind of fuse together RAD and TPVs. That's that's so exciting, Pat. As you know, with the 75, when the 75-25 blend came about, that was very impactful. Saw a lot of momentum. I know many projects still couldn't quite get over that hurdle. So this mix of the four that you just mentioned, I'm very excited to to see to see that in action. Pat, any other items from this specific notice that we should be paying attention to at this time? Yeah, actually, there's one other big what I think of as a game changer, and so that's a, a new closeout authority which allows housing authorities with 250 remaining public housing units or fewer to seek Section 18 approvals for tenant protection vouchers for up to 80% of their units. Um, So that's actually a pretty good deal, but it's only available to housing authorities with 250 units. That could be a small housing authority or it could be a housing authority that's made RAD or Section 18 conversions and their public housing count is down to 250 units or less. But in that case, it's just really now easy just to say, hey, I could use some TPVs to close out my public housing portfolio. And that improves upon, you may recall, the streamlined voluntary conversion option of a few years ago, which was a more cumbersome 
two-step process to kind of get to the same result, basically to turn around and project base your last uh, public housing units through a conversion with tenant protection vouchers. So that's, I think, also a very big deal. Good. Pat, no, thanks for pointing that out for our listeners. Pat, just this, you know, I was called like a plethora of these options and resources. You know, we have the 2020 rad rents, which came out and maybe they're a little bit higher than, than, than people were even, even thinking. We have the, the new 4% uh, loan housing tax credit floor, which we've talked a lot about here on the bus house. Obviously continued very low interest rates. I was talking to a HUD lender this morning, you know, base rates still under 3%, just incredible. Uh, the, the blends that you just, just discussed seems like we have more tools in the toolbox, you know, than we've ever had before. I mean, what, what does that kind of mean to 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 our industry to repositioning? I mean, what are you seeing, and what are you maybe excited for? Well, you really said it. It's an unmatched bundle of tools, and I think about it along with some of the flexibilities that Rad Revision Four back at the end of 2019 offered, which basically allowed a housing authority more realistic planning and timeframes to take on portfolios. So you apply that flexibility and all these new tools there's really a lot basically at a housing authority's disposal right now. One of the other things that I think is important in terms of HUD flexibility is as HUD for the last couple of years has made it increasingly easier to simultaneously assess a Section 18 application versus a RAD application for a particular property. So there's no harm, no foul. You can look at whether or not this is more feasible under Section 18 or under RAD and whichever way proves you drop the other application. So I think that all the things that you mentioned, um, particularly the RAD rents, an increased allocation of tenant protection vouchers, which is a, a, a phrase that we're using quite a bit in this conversation, in, in the most recent appropriations bill, uh, the interest rates, et cetera, the flexibilities that HUD has really been building over the years. I think that these are all very big things for housing authorities to kind of put together and maybe rethink something that previously had not presented itself as feasible. But one consideration here is that maybe some of these tools are better um, adapted sooner rather than later. That is, RAD rents change every two years now, and they're based on annual appropriations of op and cap funds. So those go up and down. So the next RAD rent change would be in fiscal year 22. We don't know what the op and cap levels are going to be in fiscal year 22. What we do know is that they were exceptionally strong in fiscal year 20, and that's why you see a, a, a pretty good increase. You can't say across the board, but most housing authorities, most of their properties are seeing some increase in their RAD 20, FY20 rents compared to FY18. That may not be the case two years from now. So, you know, there's a bird in hand there. And, you know, who's to say how much longer uh, interest rates can remain as low as they can? The last thing that I think about in terms of time is of the essence is that there's still a rad cap. It's 455,000 units. HUD still has in the works, depending on what what NYCHA may prove to do or other big housing authorities, maybe about 100,000 units under that cap to go. But with the bundle of these tools, Don, that you mentioned, I think that housing authorities are going to be taking a good hard relook here. And there's really no reason not to put in a portfolio application and claim a large number of units under this cap now. So it may be wise for housing authorities and their partners to act sooner rather than later. 
Pat, that's a great point on the 450,000, 455,000 unit cap. That's a great point. And I know Pat, you and I have talked about taxes and bonds and, you know, running on a volume cap. And we've talked about that and we'll kind of continue, I think, to monitor that as well. So Pat, with all these tools, and again, a lot of these are, are new or in the last month or two, and you're talking to a lot of people around the country, what are you still seeing and hearing maybe as barriers? You know, is it is it still education? Is it is it the numbers? I mean, what are you seeing as barriers why people still aren't maybe considering, you know, portfolio applications or even any grant applications repositioning? I usually find when first talking with a housing authority, there is a pretty quick sort of, well, we can't make the rad rents work. Okay. Well, fair enough. But over the years, I think a lot of housing authorities have taken rad rents that are maybe at 60, 70% of fair market rents and applied other capital sources to the equation and made them more elastic. I always say if San Francisco can convert all of its public housing under rad with, by the way, a Section 18 blend, then uh, there's a lot of elasticity here. And so I think the new menu of RAD blends allow uh, housing authorities basically to scale the need. So if you have a you know deeper needs project that needs more work, well, suddenly you can access more tenant protection vouchers that are likely going to be above your RAD rents to blend together and make it more feasible. So once you look under the hood of that first reaction of, I can't make the RAD rents work, I think it really comes down to a, a, a fundamental question of, of, of capacity, of housing authority capacity, really on two dimensions. The first is transactional. There are 3,100 housing authorities across the country. Maybe a third of them, probably less, have ever had any non-public housing development experience. By that, I mean mixed finance, where they've used tax credits or they've used other sources of financing to redevelop their properties. So. That's one third of the total number of housing authorities have that kind of experience. That means two thirds don't. And so the transactional experience or, or lack of capacity, I think, continues to be a big issue. Capacity is got to be bought. Um, only large housing authorities can afford development staff. And, you know, oftentimes you have to rely, turn to a consultant to help you when you kind of go into the transaction arena to do tax credits and more complicated transactions for the first time. So there's transactional capacity, but there's also increasingly as we kind of get through the um, sort of the initial conversions, there's the reality setting in about an organizational transition. It's really kind of a transformation if you stop and think about it, because what, what you're doing as a housing authority, you've always been on the Section 9 ACC platform. And all of a sudden, there's an opportunity to convert to a more stable set of Section 8 contracts. But that means you're converting to a whole Section 8 platform with a whole different regimen of accounting, of compliance, of reporting, of asset and property management that is different than what has been done by housing authorities in running their conventional public housing inventory. So that transition doesn't happen in a day. You have to invest in new systems. You have to invest in training. You have to do a range of other things to, to bring your teams along and all that. Now, getting there usually has its reward, but it is a transition. And so I find that that second dimension, the organizational capacity, is also sort of a barrier for a lot of housing authorities. Yeah, really good points. Really good points, Pat, to kind of think through. Maybe just a couple, couple other questions I had for you, Pat. Absolutely, new administration coming in now. What other, you know, in, in, in improvements kind of kind of continuing along the path, maybe these these blends, 
Are there other, you know, things that, that, that you're seeing, Pat, or, or hearing or other things the industry should be pushing for uh, with the new administration coming in? Well, there's always room to improve on something as complex as uh, maybe RAD and Section 18 and public housing and just affordable housing in general, Don, have kind of gone over the years. It's not the straightest, you know, line from A to B to figure out how to build affordable housing. So let's just say, though, that I think HUD has done a great job since RAD was authorized in 2012. So that's about eight years now of just gradually sort of working on some of those rougher edges of what it takes to do the Section 8 conversions and made a lot of great gradual improvements to uh, the whole equation of, of, you know, what's ahead of us. So having said that, uh, I'm always of a mind that there's need to be, you know, other ideas out there to kind of shoot for. So I think that there are probably three things that we've talked about at the collaborative and maybe shared with you and some in your audience, uh, some ideas for the future that are probably within our reach, maybe in the next year. The first is that HUD sought some authority in the current last year's appropriations bill, the FY 2021, believe it or not. So the next one will be fiscal year 22. But in that 21 uh, appropriations, they sought the ability where there are RAD blends, when TPVs are then issued into the equation, RAD plus TPVs, they thought the, they sought the ability, rather, to combine the TPV funds, which are voucher funds, tenant protection vouchers, to basically take those funds, they're dollars after all, they're not units, take those funds and use the same amount of funds and put them into the form of a project-based rental assistance or PVRA contract, which most of the rest of the multifamily affordable housing world knows and uses. So that's one thing that HUD wanted to do to sort of not tip the scale of all the blends for housing authorities just to be kind of backing into choosing project-based vouchers as their conversion option, because there was a long drawn out debate, believe me, I was there, about the wisdom of having a choice, project-based vouchers versus project-based rental assistance for housing authorities. And that's proven to be the case over the years. About 50% choose PVVs and about 50% choose PVRAs. But HUD wants to be sure with the ability to kind of take that fungible voucher money, if you will, to put it into PVRA contracts, not to sort of put the thumb on the scale for PBV versus PVRA. So I think that's probably within reach in the next appropriations bill. Um, Second, I think kind of following from the notion of making tenant protection voucher funds more fluid, I'm really hoping that we can get to a single form of project-based contract when we do blends. So put aside this PBRA conversion for a minute, but as it is now, when you do a blend, you're taking basically an amount of RAD PBV funds and a RAD PVV contract. And then the TPVs are vouchers that get converted by the agency, the housing authority to project-based vouchers. And they issue their own form of preordained project-based voucher contracts, two separate HUD contracts for project-based vouchers. And so when you put them together in a blend, you get one RAD PVV contract and you get the other in a PB, uh, an agency issued PVV contract a lot of PBVing there, but I think you get the gist. There's two forms of contracts. If we could just get that into one form of contract, 
it would make a life a lot easier for everybody. Maybe the lawyers like it now, meaning having to figure out who goes what, when, where. But it's really very difficult for, think about it, property managers having to report under two different contract forms, asset managers. Folks have to be trained differently. There's a whole range of things. So if we could get to the joint contract for that, I think it would be great. Um, I think a third thing that the collaborative has talked about and is getting a little bit of traction um, is the notion of in Section 18, when we stop and think about it, there's just a whole set of public housing properties out there that are just de facto obsolete. They're 50, 60, some of them are 75 years old. It's amazing. But what's remaining in the inventory are the deepest capital needs properties, and they're just obviously obsolete. As it is now, you have to go through a Section 18 application process. You have to get a physical needs assessment. You have to meet the obsolescence criteria, other criteria. And typically what happens, you go do that. You hire third parties to help you with that. You pay not a small amount of money in applications and and different fees here and there for the help along the way. Eventually you kind of get there, meaning a 70-year-old building, usually HUD gets around to saying it's obsolete. I think there's a growing sense of we know an obsolete building when we see one. And so why don't we just say, look, it's obvious we're going to end up in the same place anyway. Why not just cut to the chase and just say there's de facto obsolescence here? So I think that that is something that the SAC is really looking at and at least loosening up the obsolescence criteria. Now, stop and think about this new provision in these high cost areas. If you have a 70-year-old building, it's going to be higher cost. So you're probably going to pretty quickly be able to qualify for 80% of tenant protection vouchers in this new equation of 20% RAD, 80% TPVs. But the point being, why fuse those two? Just why not say it's it's obsolete and issue 100% tenant protection vouchers? So I think that that may be something that we'll continue to work on in the coming year. One last uh, maybe bonus tip that I can't resist. I'm just going to put it out there, and it probably is a a topic unto itself. I just want to point out that a lot of housing authorities are beginning to say, hey, I have banked fair cloth cap authority. I've torn down public housing units. I'm allowed basically to kind of hold those units in reserve, meaning the authority for that. If I figure out a way to rebuild them, I can bring them back, and I will get public housing operating and capital subsidies if I build them first. Well, there is actually a way to build them and then convert them to RAD. It's a two-step complex process. And I think that HUD has really been trying to think about how that could be made a more seamless uh, effort uh, to kind of go put fair cloth units back in service. So we have a huge need for more housing. And Guess what? There's about 220,000 units of banked Faircloth authority across the country. That's not a small amount. And if they could be more readily converted, meaning built, and then converted under RAD, then you put basically into service a quarter of a million permanently affordable units that weren't available before RAD. So I kind of want to uh, have all of us not lose sight of those Faircloth units. I think they're an important opportunity uh, and big need out there. Wow. Yeah, Pat, I didn't realize the the the, the size of that 220,000 units. So that's really a lot of good info. 
Pat, just one one last question, and maybe some of this was on, on the agenda you just noted. You know, the RAD Collaborative, I just want to thank you for what you're, you're doing for the RAD Collaborative, bringing together the industry. It's been fantastic. Everyone's enjoyed, you know, the meetings, obviously, the pandemic, we haven't been able to get together. What's kind of on the agenda for the Collaborative? What's the Collaborative look like for 2021? Well, thanks for that. And thanks to Baker Tilly for being a supporter of the Collaborative. And uh, we've always appreciated that. Maybe I just gave four hints about some of the things that we're going to be working on a policy level. So I'm not going to go back through those. Um, but, you know, those are some things that we all need to probably work on together as we've had it in the past. And then I think they can happen. But one thing that we've been thinking about is beyond the, the kind of things that the collaborative typically does, beyond the regional convenings, the practice days, the forums, the webinars, the policy work on the Hill, the white papers, the trying to kind of work with the industry to go in a concerted direction. Beyond all that, one of the things I'm particularly focused on is what can we do to maybe bring together some focus capacity? We talked about that capacity issue, maybe an experienced SWAT team, if you will, that has either been another PHA or helped another PHA to kind of come together with the housing authorities that are still kind of just on that cusp where now the economics are more sensible, but the capacity issues that we talked about are still the barrier. And is there a way? HUD offers wonderful technical assistance, but it can't stay there. It can kind of go in and do something, but it, there's just not enough person power at HUD to do that. And I'm, we're trying to think about, can the collaborative bring together these teams, if you will, to kind of offer that direct, more concerted one-on-one follow-up from whatever the housing authority and HUD may be, you know, putting on the table, figuring out our options. But as you know, Don, sometimes it takes a lot of work. Uh, once the light bulb goes off, once the feasibility pencils out, it still takes an awful lot of work to execute over time. And so that I think we want to reach out to our, our friends in the industry out there and think together about maybe how there's a way to put more concerted capacity into the equation. Yeah. Pat, that's, I mean, just, we, again, really thank you for that, that the, your leadership, the ideas around RAD and, and Section 18, Faircloth, just overall, everything you're doing for the industry. And thank you for your time today. Really appreciate that. So, and uh, sure, I'm happy to join you all. That sounds good. And listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for listening to BuzzHouse. To receive a notification when new episodes are available, please subscribe to BuzzHouse, a Bakatilly podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. For additional resources around multifamily housing, check out bakertilly.com. And if you have a suggested topic, please send them to build at bakertilly.com. That's B-U-I-L-D at bakertilly.com.